broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening in today. As I record this, it's December the 10th, and the United States Congress is trying to pass another coronavirus relief package. My guest today is hoping to attach a bill to that package that will address a problem with the earlier relief effort that was known as the CARES Act. Congressman Robert Adderholt, who represents Alabama's 4th Congressional District, has introduced a bill called the Extend Act, and that seeks to allow states to use those CARES Act dollars to build permanent rural broadband networks. Uh, In this conversation, we also dive into some other uh, rural broadband issues, such as uh, USDA's ReConnect program that Congressman Adderholt was instrumental in uh, getting set up. So uh, join us now with this timely conversation with Congressman Robert Adderholt. Well, thank you so much, Congressman Robert Adderholt, for joining us today on uh, the Rural Broadband Today podcast. Well, it's good to be with you today, and thanks for having me on and talk about an issue that's, uh, I think, near and dear to everyone's heart, uh, broadband, and uh, how really really has uh, impacted our lives, especially during COVID. Absolutely. Well, uh the, the one of the reasons we wanted to talk with you today is you've uh, certainly you have been a champion of, of rural broadband in Congress, and uh, great evidence of that is a a bill you just recently introduced called the Extend Act. It stands for Enabling Extra Time to Extend Network Development. Thought that was a great title. Why don't you walk our listeners through what uh, that bill seeks to accomplish? Sure, and no, I'd be happy to. And let me just, first of all, just start back and saying that, uh, you know, broadband has been an issue that, as you mentioned, that, I, that I've that i worked on for, for quite some time. And really, it goes back to working on the, when I was chairing the Ag Appropriations Committee in the House of Representatives. And uh, as uh, most people think about the Ag uh, Bill or the Ag Appropriations, we fund the Department of Agriculture, you not necessarily don't think of technology in the sense you think of broadband, but there is a part of the USDA that's dedicated to uh, rural development. And um, this was something that uh, we uh, set up the ReConnect program and funded the ReConnect program to uh, started out in 2018 of uh, $600 million under the uh, Consolidated Appropriations Act. And this was a new USD program that would expand broad, broad, broadband connectivity. Now, one thing that was very important for this was that these grants and these loans that will go, will go into areas were not going just to broadband in general, but to areas that were rural and areas that were very little or no coverage. So that was one of the things that was important was that it goes to areas that were not already covered. As you know, the large, larger cities for quite some time uh, have had pretty good access to broadband internet. It's really the rural parts of America that have really been the real real problem. And serving in that role as the chair of the Ag Appropriations Committee, it gave me a chance to work on uh, something for all 50 states that would help uh, every part of the country, but especially targeted at those areas that were not, that either had very little or that had no coverage of broadband internet service. 
But, uh, you know, that has been uh, uh, since back 2018 was when that, that we got that started. And since that time, uh, more money has been added into it. As I mentioned, $600 million was added initially, and then uh, we're uh, well over a a billion dollars that has been put into that program. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things that uh, bring this up today, talking about more into the Extend Act, of course, we when we found out that even a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, but when you're talking about the entire United States and building broadband, broadband network for rural areas, uh, it's a big undertaking, and a billion dollars compared to what is involved in that is not a lot of money. So we had to look for other areas, and of course, there's been other uh, bills that have looked to try to put money for building up broadband. And uh, one of the things during the CARES Act, which was the per- first piece of legislation of the real uh, big piece of legislation that went toward trying to help with the situation regarding COVID and its impact that it had back in the spring, was to try to make sure that broadband was uh, an internet coverage for areas because kids could no longer go to school. Um, the people could no longer go to the doctor. People could no longer go to the uh, uh, to the hospitals uh, to be checked out. So they had to depend on connecting with their doctor uh, via the internet. The uh, students had to connect to their teachers via the internet. Uh, and uh, have a, their classroom in their homes. So um, there was a, quite a bit of money that was put in the, uh, several hundred million were put in the money in the CARES Act. The problem was the way that the CARES Act was worded, and this is where the, the Extend Act come, really comes into play. It was worded in such a way, uh, initially, the CARES Act, that is, that it was basically during this COVID crisis, and uh, the the problem is broadband internet was one of those things that was going to be a continual problem well beyond when the COVID crisis was over. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the money that was accessed out there uh, was for, you know, it was termed in, in the CARES Act as far as the, uh, uh, as far as a temporary, but when you put broadband, it's, it's permanent. It's not something that's temporary. It's uh, something that you hope is, is not only going to serve the time during COVID and the needs there, but well beyond it. So a lot of states were reluctant to use the money because they're saying we're, you know, building this infrastructure that is going to be permanent. It's not going to be just a temporary um, situation. So therefore, we wanted to make sure that um, this the the money would not have any strings attached, so that they state governments that got this money would be on the hook to saying. Oh, now you've got to pay this money back because really you've used it to use this for a permanent structure of broadband. And, uh, but we felt like that money needed to be used for broadband coverage, whether it was going to be on a temporary basis, whether it was on a permanent basis or whatever the situation, uh, allowed it, uh, needed for each particular state and each locality. So that's what this, uh, basically the bottom line of this Extend Act was is to uh, make sure that uh, the uh, the buildup of broadband uh, was uh, used, could be used in however the states felt like it, it needed to be used. And um, so they wouldn't be caught up in any kind of lawsuit later on where 
the federal government or any other entity would come back and try to sue them for the way that they used it, as long as it was being used uh, to uh, further the availability of broadband, especially in rural areas. Okay, so it really gives the states more time and more flexibility in how they use those funds. Yeah, because this, you know, the 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 COVID language, of course, it expires after a certain amount of time after the, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of these, but but when you build broadband, it, you don't do it for a, a temporary basis. You do it for a permanent basis. So we, uh, that's where a lot of these states were needing help was trying to secure broadband, just get it out there to cover rural parts of their states, and we want to make sure that they were not having strings attached and say, well, this is not just for temporary. This is going to be well on into the future, which was a great thing. So this just it gave the flexibility for these states to use that money. As Again, it was not for anything. It was, it was still for broadband. It was still for the same issue, but just give them enough uh, leeway in the language that they could use it forever how they thought best at, as long as they're furthering the broadband cause. Well, it's certainly a busy time in Congress right now, to say the least. And you got a new relief package you're working on and holiday break coming up. How hopeful are you that the Extend Act is, is going to get passed anytime soon? And sort of what's the timetable for that? Well, the Extend Act is a bill that, uh, of course, would be is a standalone bill. It, it is it has uh, uh, I'm introducing it with uh, my colleague uh, from Ohio and. You know, we think of Ohio, we don't necessarily think of rural, but uh, uh, there's parts of Ohio that are just as rural as Alabama. And Mm -hmm. so we've got, so he, uh, he is the congressman for uh, uh, one of the, the congressional districts in Ohio. And, and that I have found that almost every state has a problem with rural connectivity with broadband. It's not just Alabama or Mississippi or Tennessee or Georgia. Um, You go out West, it's, it's uh, the same problem as well. So um, this is uh, so I'm happy to uh, that my colleague that serves on the Commerce Committee that deals with a lot of these issues directly when it comes to uh, technology issues and, and commerce that uh, uh, introduced this with him. Now, obviously, when this Congress is over, which will be this Congress ends when the new Congress begins, and that'll be on January the 3rd of 2021 which is just really a few weeks away. So our, our best hope is to try to get this piece of legislation uh, that it can be incorporated into the stimulus bill that's going to be, uh, that is being worked on currently in Congress to try to see if it can be added in uh, instead of doing a, a separate bill that could, could be um meshed in with the uh, COVID Relief Act, which is currently under uh, discussion and currently under uh, negotiations as we speak. Okay. It brings some real clarity uh, to that, sounds like. Well, it would give a, it would give a, it would give a more definite, because obviously trying to get a bill through Congress is, as you know, the whole thing goes, it's like trying to get an act of, act of Congress. <laughs> and to trying to get a bill through Congress is not a not easy thing. So, while it may have some good, well, it's a great idea. Sometimes it has to go through committee and hearings and things like that. And obviously, we that's the way we did it because that's the appropriate way to do it. But if you can sometimes get these bills and attach them to another vehicle that is moving quickly, then the language of that bill, then 
that's a way to get it moving very in, in an expedited manner. And that's what our goal is. I uh, talked to uh, Senator Wicker on the Senate side, who is uh, the senior senator from Mississippi, uh, just a few days ago, and you know, asked him to look at this to see if they can incorporate it in maybe something that uh, is going over in the Senate and uh, some bills that are that are moving quickly over there. Uh, because obviously, as I say, to, to pass a bill from start to scratch, and we, we just introduced this bill just just in the last uh, several weeks. So this is, you know, for a bill to go from being introduced to being passed into law in just a matter of weeks is is very, very, very unusual. So that's why we're looking at different avenues to try to get this language so that uh, states can have that flexibility to use that money to and like I said, at the end of the day, make sure that broadband is a top priority. Why is rural broadband uh, such an important issue for you? What have you heard through the years from your constituents about the need for better uh, broadband in rural America? Well, I, I really it goes back to, I think, really what it is I, I was seeing, and, I, and not only myself, but I think most when you started to look at, the, at broadband connectivity, you saw really two Americas. You saw the the haves and the have-nots. You saw the larger cities, the more urban areas, had, uh, and especially the school kids that lived in those areas, had great connectivity. Um, the very fast uh, internets, uh, they could, uh, uh, you know, download, they could get on the internet very quickly and maneuver around, but not kids or ch- school children, and, and, and not only that, but individuals, uh, adults, were were sort of always a step behind in rural areas. And so there was really a two Americas that we were seeing, those that had great broadband coverage and those that didn't. And what it boiled down to, it wasn't, it, it was really, uh, it didn't really depend on the necessarily the state or the economic income so much. It was where you lived and whether you had access to it. And the bottom line is a lot of the companies that, that, goes out and, you know, does broadband and lays the ground, the wires for broadband, it's much more uh, economically um, profitable to put it in larger cities when you can use a mile of broadband and get maybe thousands of homes hooked up on one on one mile of, of uh, a broadband network, whereas you go into a rural part of Alabama, you go to a mile and you might have two houses. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's going to be much more lucrative for a company that deals with broadband to go to areas that where there's uh, thousands of houses within a mile radius, um, at least hundreds of houses, if not thousands, especially if you get department buildings and things like that. So uh, that's why you had it in the rural, the rural areas were being left behind. So this was a program to incentivize companies to come in and to uh, work with uh, whether it be electric co-ops or telephone co-ops or whatever the case may be and saying we need to try to, uh, we want to be an incentive for you to put broadband into these these rural areas. And that's what really the bottom line of what uh, this was all about. So seeing these, the two Americas, as I, as I described it, was trying to make us back to all of one America. Because if you go back, uh, you know, you go back, my dad, uh, he's uh, 85 years old um, and in good health. And I, uh, he was probably 12 years old before they had electricity at, at their house. 
And back in the, the 1930s and the 1940s in Alabama, rural Alabama, people, there were a lot of people didn't have electricity. Again, a little, in the cities, you had electricity and uh, that was not unusual. But you go outside to rural parts of Alabama or Georgia, or Mississippi or any other state. And, and no one had electricity or it was very rare for to have electricity. So um, I equate that to sort of where we are today. And and could you imagine today trying to run a business and not have electricity? And the same way it is really today with the way that we are in economic, uh, that we depend on the global economy in our, in our economy, in the way that our economics works today. Um, you know, you, uh, if you're uh, not on the internet, then really you're left behind because so much of it is dealing with the internet and having connectivity and broadband and it all goes hand in hand. So, um, you know, I think, and that's really where it is today is trying to even have a business and not have internet coverage of, uh, or at least something that's, a little bit faster than you want something quite a bit that's faster than dial up. Everybody or most people remember the old dial up service that was that was so slow in the early days. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, some people uh, don't even, uh, you know, that's about what they have today. And so that's why we're trying to say that broadband is like electricity was back in the, the 20, the 20s and 30s and the 40s in America. And uh, we want to make sure that as we get today, you know, most most Americans, no matter where they live, in a rural area or they live in a, in a downtown, a major city, they have electricity. And so hopefully that's where we'll be with broadband. Well, there are certainly some uh, exciting rural broadband projects underway all across the country. But your district, uh, Congressman in particular, that stretches across several counties in North Alabama, seems to be a hotbed of broadband activity. Now, you must be encouraged uh, by the progress that you're seeing made back home particularly with electric cooperatives and with uh, the traditional telephone broadband cooperatives that you see uh, doing a lot of big projects here. Well, they, they have, these are the, the, these co-ops have really stepped up to the plate because they're used, they are, they were really put into place going back to putting electricity in these rural areas. These co-ops were set up because a larger, the, the larger, uh, companies that provide electricity, it was not as lucrative for them to run electric wire uh, for electricity when you could have it take maybe several miles to buck one house on electricity to get hooked up to electricity. Whereas you could go into town and you could have hundreds of uh, of houses on one line. So same concept goes back to this: that these uh, electrical co-ops and telephone co-ops for rural areas are coming in now. And taking advantage of these programs that we talked about, that I talked about going back to rural development back in 2018, so that this money was going for uh, these um, these incentives for these companies to and like these co-ops to uh, tap into this funding and say, you know, it's going to cost extra for us to run this extra uh, uh, fiber in order to get broadband, but if we have some help, then we can do it, and we have it. We we had an incentive to do it, and that's what this the purpose of this was was all about. Uh, circling back to the um, to the Extend Act in the the process that you uh, referred to that you know these, this sort of thing takes a while to to work through Congress. You had actually, I believe it was in August that you had sent a letter 
to the Senate and House leadership, basically asking them to, to consider doing what your Extend Act now does. So you've been thinking about this for quite some time. Right. Yeah, this is something that, you know, we had asked the leadership to move on this when when they move forward on trying to do something with the with the COVID legislation, because we we were seeing that states were having the questions like, well, we really want to do something with broadband and we have the funding monies are available for us to do this. But if we lay if we put the money into laying a broadband then, you know, this is going to be something that's going to be really on a permanent nature as opposed to on a, a temporary basis. And this is going to be well beyond COVID. So can we spend this money uh, for those particular purposes? And that's why we want to make sure there's no question. There's no uh, lawsuits that will come out of this where states then have to come back and say, hey, you've got to give the federal money. You you use this for broadband that's going to be helped for many years in the in the future. So, um, you know, we tried several avenues, working through asking leadership just to go ahead and move on this. Then we uh, worked on uh, the the legislation, and uh, now we're trying to expedite that legislation by, as I say, trying to get it on a vehicle or a bill, so to speak, uh, that is already moving. And obviously something that deals with the COVID relief and the stimulus package is is a good place to put it. You know, whether that will come to fruition, it's hard to say because there's so many moving pieces. But uh, whether it is or not, we will, I feel sure, we'll introduce this legislation after the first year, after January the 3rd, when the new Congress starts, and we'll continue to work on it. Well, one thing in particular I noticed about that letter was that um, in this particularly divisive time that we see in Washington, your letter had signatures from both parties. Even joining you in uh, leading that effort was Congressman Peter Welch, a Democrat from Vermont. You you seem to have an ability to work across the aisle and to build consensus. What what would you say your approach is to seeking common ground that allows you to be so effective in bringing Republicans and Democrats to the table on such important issues? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, you, know, you you raise a very good question because uh, I think one. I think it's really hit home with me was going back to when I was talking about in like about 2018 when we when I chaired the Ag Subcommittee of Appropriations. Oh, uh, one of the committee members uh, on the Democrat side was uh, from the state of of Wisconsin, and uh, he was from uh, the Madison, uh, Wisconsin area, which is um, and he is probably we are diametrically opposed on all issues when I say on, mo- on most issues. Uh, usually he votes, uh, if I vote yes, he votes no, and if I vote no, he votes yes. Mm. Uh, he is comes from a very, very liberal district. I come over from a very, very conservative district. And so uh, his his area is the uh, University of Wisconsin, and, you know, just like I said, it's a very liberal part of America. But uh, one thing that he was on while we were on the committee, he was talking about the need for broadband uh, and uh, in Wisconsin. And so here it was a conservative Republican from Alabama and a liberal member of Congress from Wisconsin. But we were both talking about how important this issue was. So this issue really goes beyond Democrats or Republicans. This is an issue that uh, impacts people wherever they are, whatever their political leanings, wherever they are. You know, I, and of course, I'm, you know, he, he and I have had many discussions and 
he, li- he even where he lives in Wisconsin, he has a very poor internet connection. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, if you live outside of the South and, you know, you probably live in a larger city, but that's not the case. There's, you know, most members of Congress I found out, uh, or I say most of them, there's, uh, it seems like a very large percentage that I talk to don't live in large cities. They live in smaller towns and smaller communities across the country. And uh, so it is uh, one of those issues that just transcends both Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, it's it's great to be able, especially in a hyper political activity like this uh, that we're living in in Washington right now, to be able to work on issues that Democrats and Republicans can come together. And, you know, it, the Internet is and broadband is not Democrat or Republican. It's just it's just there. It's like electricity. It's, uh, you know, like I said, there's so many comparisons that I go back to uh, the way it was uh, in the 1930s and the, the 40s in, in rural uh, um, America. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was not Democrat or Republican, but people need electricity. Mm, well said. You know, we hear some people talk about uh, limited government, keeping federal government out of our lives, but you really balance that with a belief that um, that you state so well on your website. It says that um, the federal government serves a critical role in assisting state and local projects regarding economic development. Now, as someone who's uh, who has the privilege of living in your district, uh, I've certainly witnessed your commitment to uh, leveraging federal dollars and helping our communities help themselves. Talk to us about why you think working together at federal, state, and local levels is so effective in improving quality of life in our communities. Well, you raise a very a very important issue when you talk about the role of the federal government and where that, that role is. Obviously, in a perfect world, uh, we, we won't, uh, you know, us, and it's, at least it's my opinion, uh, I know people have different opinions on this to have uh, a smaller federal government influence, whereas you let the state and local governments make most of the decisions and you don't want uh, the federal government having its hand in every, every aspect mm-hmm. of, of life. Now, when you come to an area when it when you're talking about economic development, uh, I think it's you know, it's 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 so different. And I've learned this since I've been in Congress. I've learned this even more so. You have much more advantages when you're in larger cities and in areas that have a larger population base for economic development. They have the, the tax dollars. They have the money to be able to to do uh, programs and to move things that uh, these smaller cities, uh, smaller towns and rural areas and, and small counties that have a very, very limited budget just to not have the money to do so. Mm-hmm. And what uh, we, you know, we're, it's not where the federal government comes to, does a handout for these areas and say, we're just going to give you all this. But if we can find a way to incentivize to say, we want to help you start doing some economic development in your area. And we know that the community, the town, the the, the county, whatever, doesn't have a way to incentivize to try to get this going, but um, we see that we can be a helping hand from the federal government to try to get this started. And it, it's sort of like, you know, the old saying is you, you teach a man to, 
you give a man a fish and he and he you know eats, but then you teach a man to fish and he and he eats for uh, for a lifetime. And that's the way it, it it sort of relates to this when you help with trying to help all of these communities with economic development. And I really put the broadband in that area as, as well, because there is no way, you know, in an ideal situation, you would love to have a company to come in and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to provide these services and then our uh, customers will pay us for it. Well, you go to the broadband issue and these companies they all want to locate in the larger cities where there's hundreds and hundreds of houses within a mile or two radius. You go to a rural area, there's a handful of houses in a mile or two radius. They're just not going to go to those areas. And I see that's where you have you, the federal government can come in and help. Now, ideally, it would be great if the state can do this. But, you know, we you know, the state of Alabama is like many states. They're on a limited budget, not able to do so. And so trying to find ways for economic development and trying to help where the private sector is just not going to step up to the plate, I think is an ideal situation. This broadband uh, issue is one of those where, number one, it helps economic development, as you mentioned earlier. And number two, it also is where private companies, private enterprise is not going to put up any money because it's, you know, the bottom line, it's just not as lucrative to help out. But yet at the same time, the people who live in those areas, we want to make sure they have electricity. We want to make sure that they have broadband and have the, the that they have those conveniences that people that live in uh, urban areas already have. Absolutely. Well, in, in closing, I would like to say, uh, first of all, congratulations on uh, your uh, reelection to Congress. And next month, uh, you will take the oath of office to begin serving your 13th term uh, representing our 4th Congressional District here in Alabama. Now, you've been in Washington uh, through some major events in our nation's history. Uh, You know, several presidential changes, 9-11, the Great Recession, uh, now a pandemic. Congressman, as you uh, reflect on essentially a quarter century of service in the U.S. Congress, uh, what are some of the moments, big ones or small ones, that that really stand out to you as you reflect? Well, no question is uh, as the nine uh, eleven was one of those pivotal moments in American history that will go down in the history books, and you know, hundreds of years from now, that will be will be uh, discussion uh, up for discussion. But uh, you know, one thing that was quite unusual when I I came to Congress, uh, I was elected in 96 came in uh, january of 97 and uh in um during the uh, end of my first term uh i was voting on impeachment of a president Mm. and uh, there had only been uh one impeachment vote for president uh, in american history and uh, of course we think of richard nixon when he was uh, you know, during the Watergate um, scandal and those are the issues that happened during that time period. But, you know, he was never impeached. He, uh, he, the President Nixon resigned from office. So really you have to go back to Andrew Johnson when uh, he was impeached uh, back just shortly after the Civil War. Now he was not removed for all, from office, but on a very close vote in the Senate that he was almost removed from office. So there'd only this was only the second time in American history that and as a freshman in Washington, uh, you know, I was a part of that 
of uh, of uh, the vote to impeach a president. Um, and it did. We did the vote. The House was voted to impeach. And then, um, of course, it's one of those things where you think it wouldn't come around for another hundred years or more. And then, lo and behold, just this uh, last, just earlier this year, um, and the end of last year, we went through that same thing with uh, impeaching the uh, president uh, uh, when uh, Trump was brought for brought forward for impeachment. So within a, a span of the time that I've been in Washington, I've already had voted on two impeachments of a president um, or involved. I voted against impeachment of, uh, of President Trump, of course, but two times I uh, had to go into the chamber to make that decision to vote for whether to vote to impeach or not. And like I said, before I was elected, it had only been done once in American history. So, uh, mm. you know, I, I think about those type of situations, which it, which is unbelievable. And then, of course, you bring up today is the pandemic. I mean, you have to go back 100 years ago for when a pandemic occurred. So this is the first time and uh, within anybody's memory, I don't think there's anyone or very few people that are living today that have very much a recall of the 1918, uh, 1919 pandemic that occurred mm -hmm. uh, that was over 100 years ago. So uh, yeah, I mean, the last uh, 25 years uh, has been quite phenomenal and a uh, lot, so much things that have occurred, not to mention, you know, we've had uh, the war with uh, in uh, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq um, and uh, just, uh, you know, the, the technology age that we live in. You know, when I first was elected to Congress, uh, I when near my first term. I, you know, it's funny to say this. I didn't have a web page because most people were not even, uh, and certainly people weren't even talking about podcasts as, as we're involved <laughs> in one right now. But, uh, you know, I did, they, I remember when Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House and encouraging members of Congress to set up a web page. And, uh, I, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, email was just becoming a thing that people was really involved in. Cell phones were, were out there, but obviously there was no th such thing as a smartphone. So even the technology that uh, that I have seen change in the way that we communicate with our constituents has changed tremendously over the last uh, 24 or 25 years. Well, you have had an, an up-close seat at the table for history unfolding, haven't you? It has been a, a very interesting uh, to see that and, um, you know, how it's, uh, you know, it's changed. You know, we look back and we say, gosh, I can't believe that that was the way it was. Then, but it happened so gradually and so slowly uh, that uh, you know a lot of it you take it for granted if you don't realize how how it just slowly creeps in and how technology and how how everything changes in America and I guess that's the way it has been since uh, uh, the founding back in uh, when we declared our independence in uh, seventeen uh, seventy six and you know we're approaching the two hundred fiftieth which is called the semi sequentennial. Um, it's a long word for uh, 250 years, so they just call it America 250 is what they're going to be calling it. But uh, a commission was set up a couple of years ago, and uh, I have the privilege of being one of the commissioners on the uh, uh, semi-quincentennial to, to set, set up the celebration for the 250th uh, birthday of the United States. And 
Um, I know some of your listeners will will remember the uh, bicentennial, which was back in 1976. I was a young boy, and but I remember it well. And of course, uh, it's hard to believe it's already been 50 years, and now we'll be celebrating the 250th birthday, God willing, of uh, the United States of America just in a few years. Mm, that's exciting. Well, thank you for uh, your your service on that commission, and thank you for your service in uh, Congress, and certainly what you have. Uh, your leadership role with uh, rural broadband across the country and specifically for, uh, for here in the state of Alabama. And uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Well, glad to be with you and glad to chat about these issues and uh, look forward to being on again sometime. And thank you for listening to rural broadband today, where we take a look at the people and the issues shaping the rural broadband story across America. I'm your host, Stephen Smith, and this program is produced by WordSouth a content marketing company. Please share this episode with your network and help us tell the rural broadband story. Thanks for listening. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.